Well, if you're just joining us for the first time today, uh, we're really glad that you're watching uh, and you're here because uh, we are continuing our discussion on belonging in community. Uh, I just want to do a quick review because we are talking about six qualities of belonging uh, from a series that Chris Volatin did uh, that someone sent me. Uh, six qualities of belonging. And two weeks ago, uh, before Alan preached last week, uh, two weeks ago, we started talking about these six qualities, and I want to remind you of the four that we already covered real quick, um, because some of you weren't here, and, and you need to be caught up on uh, what we talked about, and some of us just need to be reminded, because they were good things. Uh, these six qualities are what it looks like to belong. This is what belonging should produce from us, these six things. This is what it should produce if you belong to a group of people, a tribe, a family, or a church family. Uh, that we know that God has called us to. Whatever you want to call it, uh, we're not getting hung up on lingo. Uh, the first thing, the first quality was loyalty. Loyalty. Remember we said loyalty doesn't mean that we agree. It means that we are together even when we disagree. Because loyalty is actually tested. Loyalty is actually tested when we don't agree. Loyalty also means that when someone is talking negatively about someone in your tribe, you aren't silent about it which means that we are to face opposition head-on with love, of course, and gentleness and meekness and all the fruits of the Spirit. We're always supposed to handle opposition with the fruits of the Spirit. But the point last week, or two weeks ago was, but we're not supposed to face negative talk with wimpiness. This is one responsibility of being part of a family, that I have your back and you have mine. But listen closely to this. This is something I wanted to say uh, two weeks ago, but I forgot to say it, so I'm adding it. This is new um, to our talk about loyalty. I remembered something after I preached that sermon uh, that I wish I would have said, so I'm going to say it now. And you need to know this and, and, and really get this. I want you to hear my heart, at least in this church. I can only speak for me. I can't speak for all churches. I can't speak for all businesses, and I can't speak for all organizations because I know this is not true in every tribe. But I want you to know the truth of this tribe is this. Loyalty never trumps sin. Let me repeat that so you get it, and I'll explain it. Loyalty never trumps sin. What do I mean? Well, if someone in our tribe is in sin, we don't ignore it just because we are loyal to them. Let me repeat that. If someone in our tribe is in sin, we don't ignore it just because we're loyal to them. And hear my heart on this, including our leaders. Let me repeat that because some of you have had made some statements about that. Including our leaders, loyalty will never trump sin. Over the years, I've heard several times something like this. So-and-so hurt me, but I know Pastor Mark will take their side because they're a leader in the church. That just proves to me that you don't know me very well. And it also proves me, to me that you don't know our leaders very well. Because there is one thing that we will never do here at Light and Life, and that is cover up sin. Listen, even if they are a leader here, you don't know this, but our leaders hold each other accountable and will call each other out on their sin. You don't know it because you're not in our meetings, but I'm telling you, loyalty in this house, in this tribe, loyalty never trumps sin. Sadly, in a lot of churches and organizations, it does. And I'm sorry for that. But listen, if we hear about it here, leader or not, we will address it biblically. Number two, we talked about sacrifice. We don't demand that someone in the church or our marriage meets our needs, right? We don't demand that someone in the church or in our marriage meets our needs. We don't demand it. We said that that's an abusive, controlling, manipulative twist of what loyalty means. Belonging means you lead by example and sacrifice yourself without expecting anything in return. If you're not serving in some capacity, and you're not dying to yourself, and your busyness, and your schedule, and whatever, and you're just saying, I'm too busy, uh, I can't commit to anything in the church, you're not sacrificing, you don't belong here. Now, I don't mean get out, you don't belong, but I mean, you don't know what belonging means, and you're not belonging with us. And number three was honesty. Honesty is the foundation of trust. 
Lying destroys relationships and connections, we said. And when, when God, I think about what we said two weeks ago. When God describes a wicked man in Proverbs 6, he says a lying tongue is one of the character traits of a wicked man. That's pretty crazy because it, because it starts out by saying God detests this. He hates it, especially if you are lying about people in your tribe, in his body. You know why? Because that causes division. Now, we're going to talk about division in a good way in a minute. This is division in a bad way. And, and the Bible says if you cause division in the church, he will deal with you severely. And you know what the Bible, the Bible also says, the word of God? It says to the rest of us, you are to have nothing to do with anybody that causes division in the church. So it's okay to end the relationship if they just constantly are lying about people and, tr- and talking negatively and just constantly causing division. It's okay to say, we're done. I'm having nothing to do with you because I've tried to get you to stop. You won't stop. You're causing division, and the Bible allows me to end this relationship. The Bible says I have nothing to do with them. They're evil. They're wicked. The last one we discussed was trust, number four. Trust is built when you create expectations that you fulfill. What does it mean to fulfill something? It means to carry it out, to complete it, to perform to execute, to accomplish. Trust is really important in every relationship because once trust is broken, we said, it is one of the hardest things to restore. Remember Chris Volatin's motto that he has when he teaches his leaders, and it's this, under-promise and over-perform. Under-promise and over-perform. Now, under-promise doesn't mean you say no to everything in the church or in your tribe. It just means you don't over-promise. You know, you make promises that you know you can't keep. But if you want to belong here, it means you have to be trustworthy. You have to follow through with your commitments. Don't just not show up on a Sunday that you're supposed to be serving. Fulfill your commitments. Why? Because it impacts others greatly when you fail to be trustworthy. I I believe it's, as I meet with pastors, now that I'm a district leader, and as I meet with pastors, and, and obviously for years that I've been in ministry, Perhaps the number one reason that people step down from leading a ministry is people not showing up for their commitments. So we have to have trust amongst ourselves. We have to show up. We have to follow through, especially when we've made a commitment. So sacrifice means you make commitments, and trust is you follow through with them. So it's not about, well, that's why I don't promise anything. That's why I don't commit because I know I can't follow through. No, that means you have some growth, a growth area that you need to work on because you're supposed to be making commitments to your tribe, and then you're supposed to follow through. So I hope that helps. So that's where we left off two weeks ago. Let's jump right into number five. If you're following along in your notes, Richard posted the notes online. So if you've printed them out, then I'll just go ahead and, and talk about in your notes. Those of you that are here in person, they're up here on the front pew if you want one. Number five is authenticity. Number five is authenticity. This is one of my greatest passions. I've, I, I don't know if Amy and Bobby and all the, and, and, and Jerry and Sue and, and uh, the people that were here 15 years ago when we moved here, I don't, I don't know if they remember one of the very first statements that I said as the pastor of this church is that all I'm looking for is a group of people who are authentic and real and just genuine believers because we can do something. We can do some damage to the Satan's camp if we just have some authentic, real Christians. Not fake, not hypocrite, not phony. That's all I want is to work with real, genuine Christians, and then boom, 15 years later, it comes back up. Number five is authenticity. In your notes, if I want to belong, I have to be real. If I want to belong, I have to be real, which means genuine, it means credible, it means true. It means undisputed. So it, I know there's a verse somewhere in the Bible that says, uh, live your life so that no one, so, above re- reproach, live your life in such a way that no one can argue against you, your lifestyle. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. I know I'm not getting the words right, but that's basically it. That's just according to my Bible. If I want to be long, I have to be real in front of my tribe. I have to be vulnerable. I have to be honest. All the things that we're talking about. I have to be trustworthy. I have to be honest. Now, do you know why it's so hard for us to be real with one another? Because in our culture today, there is way too much pressure to perform. 
It's one of the reasons why we put a Sunday face on when we come to church and we pretend that everything is okay because we don't want to make a big scene. And yet this is the place, hopefully, that you feel safe enough to be vulnerable and just tell us exactly what's going on and be real with us and stop faking it. Chris said in his sermon, and I'm going to tell you that Chris said it because it's going to sound kind of harsh and I don't want you to be mad at me. He said, people are like chameleons anymore. They change their opinions and standards and morals, listen, based on who's in the room with them. Let me repeat that. People are like chameleons. They change their opinions, which isn't a big deal, as much as they change their standards, which is a bigger deal, and even a more bigger deal. They change their morals based on who's in the room with them. And that is so sad. What happened to being a people and leaders and a nation with convictions, with beliefs, with standards, and with values? Listen, I don't know if you watch the news anymore. I, I, I've only started watching a little bit since my inner healing recently because of the Afghan, Af, what's happening in Afghanistan. But I got to tell you, uh, presidents over the years, over the years, lots of them, lots of our leaders, I've been watching this slowly and slowly, they will actually admit to you in front of the camera that they made the decision based on a poll done by American people. Think about that. That's not conviction. That's not a standard. That's not a value. That's, I want them to like me, and I want to get voted in again, so I have to do what they tell me to do. That's people-pleasing. What happened to being a people, a Christian, a believer, and a leader and a nation with convictions and beliefs and standards and values, and then sticking to them no matter what happens or no matter who's in the room? This is one of those things that destroys community by not being loyal to your tribe with conviction and standards and values. This is why in one room, in one room, you're praising the leaders and the people here, but as soon as you go into another room, you're joining in on the negative gossip of the leaders and the people here. You want to know why? Well, it's because you're the opposite of this, because you are not genuine. You are a chameleon. It means you are fake. You are a hypocrite. You're a phony. And as Chris, or uh, uh, who was it? Danny Silk put it in the Keep Your Love On. Remember that series? What did he call these people? Chocolate-covered dragons. Listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect uh, with this just because I'm preaching it. My point is, is we need to help each other with this. You help me and I'll help you to be real, genuine believers for Christ. The world needs us to be real and genuine believers. We, we, can, we cannot afford for any of us to be going to church on Sunday and yet living in the world the rest of the week. Do you know what that does to the world? It just confuses them. Well, if, if you don't actually act any different than me, why do I need your Jesus? Why do I need to go to church? You know, I've actually had people say to me when I've, when I've run into them after they've visited our church, and I've actually said to them, or, or asked them, so why didn't you come back? He go, and I, I can remember one guy specifically, but, but numerous people have told me this over the years. Well, after I got there, and I saw so-and-so there, either on the stage or leading something, and they were at a party with me the night before, getting drunk and getting high, I realized, oh, I came in for something different, and I didn't find different. I found the same. So I realized then, maybe I don't need God, maybe I don't need church, because they're living the same way I'm living. I want you to think about how, how powerful that is. I, I'm convinced when people finally come to church, it's because they're actually looking for something different. And so they better run into people who are different. Does that make sense? We better be different than the world because we're only aliens here, going back to my point about miracles, because we're only here temporarily, right? We're aliens of this planet. We're, we're only visiting for a while. We don't want to cause confusion to the world by going to church on Sunday and then living like the world the rest of the week. Do you realize that there are people who do not like what you believe? Do you realize that there are people who do not like what you believe? If you don't believe me, watch the news. There are people who do not like what you believe. You know what I say to that? So what? And are you ready to handle that in a Christ-like way? 
when they come against you and against your beliefs? Are you going to hold to the truth? Are you going to stick to your convictions? Are you going to keep your standards high? Are you going to get off the fence and live with godly morals? In your notes, God needs us to stop being wishy-washy. Now, Alan called us weird last week, so I thought as soon as I said that, he's going to be like, yep, there's one of those northeastern weird uh, sayings. And so I actually thought that, and I said, I wonder if this is just something we say or is it in the dictionary? So I looked it up, and it's in the dictionary, and it means feeble. It means God wants us to stop being feeble, stop being weak, stop being spineless, stop lacking boldness. That's what it actually means, to stop being wishy-washy. Listen, I want you to listen to this very closely. We're going to see it in a minute. Warning people, warning people, sometimes loudly like I'm doing right now because I'm warning you. Warning people, sometimes loudly, that they're going down a path of destruction, listen, is loving. It is loving to warn people that they are going down a path of destruction. But remember, do it with the fruits of the Spirit, not out of control screaming and angry. Well, who am I to tell them how to live, Pastor? You're a Christian. That's who. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ who, by the way, when he looked at the world's standards, he raised the bar higher. And he didn't worry, listen to this, he didn't worry about being everyone's friend. Jesus never worried about being everyone's friend. He wanted to be their savior. And listen to this. Look at this on the screen because I just want to remind you. You have been commissioned to go and make disciples. Separate sermon. But do you remember what it says after that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you remember what it says after that? And then you are commissioned to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. See, we forget that part. And that's why we get quiet when we're in a room and someone's bashing the church that we attend, that we love. And by our silence, we're agreeing with them because we're afraid that they won't be our friend anymore. Jesus was not worried about being their friend. He wanted to be their savior. Not that you can be their savior, but you represent the savior. You lead them there, right? Go and make disciples Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. That's who you are, in case you forgot. I have news for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you are not supposed to get everyone to like you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are not supposed to try to get everyone to like you. You are to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, even if everyone hates you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to cover a long passage here, and we're going to point out a couple other ones, but this, I really thought about this. It goes right along with what we're talking about at Matthew chapter 10. If you, if you don't have a Bible, those of you that are here, it's page 964. You can turn to it quicker that way, but Matthew chapter 10, first book in the New Testament, page 964. This is a powerful passage that begins to address what I'm talking about, but listen, I don't want you to read it. I don't want to read it to you if you're just going to zone out on me. Will you really lean into this while we read it? Because as Americans, we better get this down right now before it really hits us. Because it's coming sooner rather than later. Jesus is about to send out the disciples into the world to do some ministry. Just like you've been sent out into the world, even if your church isn't sending you properly, you are sent by God into the world to preach the gospel, even if they hate you. So he's about to send the disciples out into the world to do some ministry. I want to look at what he warns them about. We're going to begin in verse 16, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Watch this. Behold... He warns them right from the beginning. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What does that mean? It's going to be hard. You're going to run into people who are evil and wicked and people that hate you. Therefore, he says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
In other words, you may have to confront them, but do it with the fruits of the Spirit. You do it in a loving way. Number seven, or verse 17. Look at, I mean, he's warning them. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony. So you're going you're gonna to endure hardship, but you're supposed to leverage it for the kingdom of God. Can you put the next verse up, Richard? Verse 18. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. Verse 19. But when they deliver you up, <clears throat> when, when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not who you sp- who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. This is why it's so important to have intimacy with the spirit of God. And you can't get that intimacy on Sunday morning. You have to be working at it seven days a week on your own. Verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. Even your own family will come against you. And the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And here it is in verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. It's just a reality. There are people who will hate you for what you believe. How are you going to handle it when it happens? Jump down to verse 27. Verse 27. Whatever I tell you in your prayer closet, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in public. Speak it in the light. And what you hear in the ear, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, preach it on the housetops. In other words, preach it loudly so that everybody can hear. Verse 28. And do not fear, do not fear, do not fear ISIS. Do not fear terrorists. Do not fear those who may kill your physical body, but cannot kill your spiritual body. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now watch this now, verse 32. It just gets better and better as we roll along. Verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, whoever's not afraid... To tell someone that talking about their tribe in a negative way is causing division. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, and let me tell you something, being silent and not bringing truth into a lie, being silent is the same thing as denying the truth of God's word. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You get a choice there. You can either choose verse 32 or you can choose verse 33. Your choice. Now watch what we're about to read next. He goes on to tell us that sometimes our message will not be popular. But what did, what did Jesus just warn us about? You are not doing this to be liked. You're doing this to show people the real way to life. And in order to do that, You must be real, not wishy-washy. You ready for this? Verse 34. Okay, Jesus is going on a rant here about worrying about being liked. And he's basically saying, guys, I didn't come to be liked. Verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me, in other words, if you're afraid to speak up because you're worried about losing them as a friend, and you're not worried about the truth, you're not worried about your relationship with me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the truth of what's happening in Afghanistan. That's the truth of what's happening. Some people are losing their earthly life, but they're finding eternal life. What is my point? It is this in your notes. This is my point to hammer it home. 
It is more important to be real than to be liked. It is more important to be real, authentic, and genuine than to be liked by other humans. It's more important to be real than to be liked in God's eyes because he wants us to be loyal. Let me go back to number one, go right through. He wants us to sacrifice. He wants us to be honest always. He wants us to be trustworthy. And in order to belong, you have to be authentic. You have to be real with yourself, with your tribe, and with the world. What you're doing is wrong, and it leads to destruction. But I have an answer for you. Let me show you the answer, Jesus. Number six, the last quality of belonging is perseverance. Perseverance. This one surprised me that it was on the list, but it's so good. Because here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that people give up too easily. People nowadays give up way too easily. And I really want you to listen to this because when Chris talked about this, it just blew my mind. And because, you know, when you open the word of God and you start studying this stuff out or you're listening to someone else and what God showed them, it just blows, blows you away. And it's like a light bulb went off because you all know that the way my mind works is all relational. And I have filing cabinets and I'm not sure what light bulb went off, but I'll tell you what, this is new information to me that blew me away because he actually talks about what, what, why do you think people give up so easily nowadays, more than they used to in the 50s or the 40s or the 1900s or the 1800s? Why do you think people don't push through hard times, don't push through offense? And why do they quit? Why are they bouncing from church to church looking for the perfect pastor with the perfect people in there where they will never be harmed and never be hurt? Why do you think so? Because we live in a society today, he said, that embraces a cohabitation value system. Right? Isn't this true? Nobody's getting married anymore. Everybody's just cohabitating. Everybody's just living with each other. They're afraid to sign a paper. They're afraid to make a commitment. They want a way out. You may want to write that in your notes because it's not in your notes, but the reason that people give up too easily, if you want to write it in your notes, is because we live in a society today that embraces a cohabitation value system. Do you know what this value system speaks? It's a bunch of lies, but you know what it speaks? Cohabitation is a moral standard that says, I don't care what God says. I won't get married. Why? In case it doesn't work out. That gives me a way out. If I get mad or if I don't get what I want, we never really made any kind of real commitment anyway, so I'm out of here. Then this ungodly cohabitation standard slithers its way into the church like he did into the garden. And it says, I never really committed to your church anyway. I never tithed. I never served. I never belonged. So it's easier for me to leave when you upset me, pastor, or if I don't get what I want. I'm out of here. One of the problems we have is this cohabitation thing. Nobody makes commitments anymore, not even to their tribe, not even to their local church. Listen, we have to ditch the cohabitating value system and embrace godly things like longevity and endurance and perseverance and have covenant, as Alan spoke and started this whole thing out, covenant communities. People who are in it, as I've been saying throughout this whole series, people who are in it for the long haul. And if divorce is not an option, that means we have to work it out. We're forced to work it out if separation is not an option, which I'm not saying biblically that in marriage, divorce is never an option. But honestly, we now give up and run way too easily, way too quickly. In your notes, cohabitation says, I'll stay with you as long as you please me. Think about that. Cohabitation says, I'll stay with you as long as you please me. Covenant says, I'll lay down my life for you. I die to myself for you. 
every Sunday, every day, and that's why I'm going to the children's church meeting next at 9 a.m. because I really don't want to come in. I don't know if I can, and if I, but I'm going to because I know God's been telling me to get involved. And I'm going and I'm going to get involved because I'm going to lay down my schedule. I'm going to lay down my busyness. I'm going to lay down my life for these children because these children are part of my tribe and I'm responsible for them just as much as Pastor Mark is and the children's church leaders. And I'm a parent who sends my kids down there. Why would I stay up every Sunday in the service and let someone else take care of my kids Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? If I have somebody who's ministering to my kids, I want to get involved in that. And at least once every two months, I want to serve, right? Laying our life down for someone else. That's covenant. Cohabitation, well, pastor, as long as you keep entertaining me, I'll stay here. My point is, part of belonging means that we press through. We persevere. This is part of marriage. I hope Keith and Katie are listening up. This is their counseling session. Part of marriage is that you don't wake up every morning with butterflies in your stomach for that person. You you just don't. Sorry, Keith and Katie, to break the news to you, but you're not going to wake up every morning 25 years down the road with butterflies. I know Chester still does. I I, I get that. Chester's different. He is an amazing husband. Uh, But not all of us wake up in the morning with butterflies in our stomach for that person, especially when they've been snoring all night, (laughs) especially when they've been hogging, hogging the covers all night, right? The point is you have times when you feel great and times when you don't. Here's the key that Chris pointed out. What you do when you don't feel great about the things that are going on, what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel great? Will you be committed or will you just be cohabitating? And he gives the answer for longevity and endurance and in and, and, and a covenant relationship. Here's the answer for longevity and endurance in a covenant relationship, which I hope we have in our tribe. I hope you have it in your marriage and I hope you have it in your friendships. Here's the key. Do the same things you do when you feel great when you don't. Do the same things you do when you feel great about the relationship when you don't feel so great about the relationship. Just keep doing the same positive things. Keep meeting their love language. Keep doing those things. Do what you do when you feel it when you don't. We all need work in this area. I'm not going to just point the finger at me. I think we all need work in this area. Do the same things you do when you feel great when you don't. That's the key to longevity and endurance in a covenant relationship. You do that and you'll have a great marriage. You'll be a great employee. You'll be a great leader. If you do what you're supposed to do, even when you don't feel like it. Now, these are the responsibilities that we have, these these six things. These are the responsibilities that we have when we belong. To be loyal to one another, to sacrifice for one another, to always be honest with each other, to always be trustworthy, to be authentic, and to persevere when times are difficult with each other. But I want to show you the bigger picture of what it means to belong as we close this out. It's going to be a little bit, but but I just want to show you that. From Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, if you want to turn there with me. Isaiah 61. I want to show you the bigger picture of what it means to belong. And I hope you understand by now that what God is up to is always bigger than us. Let me repeat that. What God is up to is always bigger than us. It's always bigger than your local church. There's always more going on that we sometimes forget or lose sight of. So I want to show you and remind you of that from the prophet Isaiah. Are you ready? Starting with verse 1, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is it on you? Is the Spirit of the Lord upon you right now and every day when you go to work? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. What does that mean? And we sang about it in one of our songs. He has made me whole. He has made me whole. This is what this means. The Spirit of the God Lord is upon me, and the Lord has anointed me. He has made me whole. I was once broken, but he's made me whole. Why? There must be a reason why I need to be healed, and I need to be made whole. 
Why? Why do I need to deal with my own junk first? Why? Well, he tells us, because I need you to preach good tidings to the poor. I need you to, I'm going to send you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening and setting free of prisoners who are bound in chains. I need you to do that. So you need to be healed first. You need to be made whole. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and, and not only the good stuff, I need you to proclaim the bad stuff. Goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort is another goal that we're supposed to do. We are to comfort all who mourn. Number, or verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give, we're to give, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, we're supposed to give joy for mourning, and to give out praise, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, why must we do that? Why must we do that? It goes on to say that they, that they, those who we are ministering to, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now watch this. This is the reason that they need to be made whole by your ministry to them. Let me repeat that. This is the reason that they need to be made whole after you're made whole by your ministry to them with the help of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Verse four, ready? Once you're made whole and they're made whole, they will rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair your cities, ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So, so you see, in context of belonging, if we read that in context of belonging, once I get whole, I have a responsibility. My responsibility is to help others get whole. Not just complain about the addicts downtown, not just complain about poor people. Once I'm made whole, I'm not supposed to sit in my self-righteous, judgmental church chair saying, when is the government going to do something about the poor people in our community? Once I am made whole, it is my responsibility to go make them whole. And it's not about going and making them rich. It's about going and bringing Jesus to them and bringing them into salvation. Once they get whole... They have a responsibility, which I think happens automatically, to rebuild the city. Are you seeing this? You transform people, you're going to transform a city. You first, then them, then automatically your city and your neighborhoods are transformed. So you see in your notes, we don't just belong to a people we also belong to a land. And I know we've said this before, but I'm just hammering it home. We don't just belong to a people. We belong to a land. If you read on in Isaiah chapter 62, in so many words, God actually says in Isaiah 62 that you are actually to be married to your land. Your land married to you and you married to your land. In other words, what I believe he's saying is you're supposed to belong to your land to your place, to your city, to your tribe, to your church, to your family. You're not supposed to just suck up air and take up space. Listen, our land, our cities get transformed through us, not our government. I'll give you a minute to let that sink in because a lot of you are hoping that your government solves all the problems of the land. That's not what God's intention is. God's intention was, I want a bunch of little Jesuses running around like I sent my son to show the example of how to bring transformation to the land, and that is you, and it's me, right? Chris made a comment that I just want to repeat because I just think it's kind of another warning to Christians and believers. Chris suggests that independence, independence, our freedom, has become like a God, little g. Instead of having, having true patriotism, patriotism, which means instead of truly belonging to a land, we are cohabitating in it. And if someone that we don't like gets elected, well, then I'm just out of here. I'm moving. That's cohabitation. If I don't get my way, I'm, I'm out of here. There's no patriotism in that. 
We scream and protest for our own freedom and our own independence when God actually created us to be interdependent. He actually created us to be dependent on one another, not to just protest for our own freedom and our own independence and fight for the right to do whatever I want to do. That's what they're really fighting for. When God never asked us to fight for that, that's not the independence, that he, the freedom that he wants us to have. We actually are supposed to be dependent on one another, not independent. However, we are, not all, we are also not supposed to, in that interdependence on each other, we're not supposed to lose our identity, our individuality, I mean. We're not supposed to lose our individuality when we become a member of someone else. We don't want you to stop being you. Remember that sermon? Romans 12, 4 and 5 says it like this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many different people, are one body in Christ. And, and, you get the and? And individually we are members of one another. So, it, so we don't want to lose our individuality in a tribe. Here's the point in your notes, if you're following along and writing and filling in the blanks. If you are part of a tribe... You don't lose your individuality, who you are. But you are a member of someone else, which means how you behave affects everyone around you. You don't lose your individuality, but how you behave in that tribe, in that community, in your family, at school, at work, how you behave affects everyone around you. I think Isaiah 61 just screams loyalty. It screams loyalty. Be loyal to your land. Be loyal to your people. Be loyal to your city. Do something about it. Stop waiting for the government to solve everything. Loyalty for one another for the sake of rebuilding our cities. Do you realize that we, we, not our government, we are supposed to be shaping our local cities? That's, that's powerful. Isaiah 61 is powerful. I think, I think Chris calls it his life, his life passage. This is, he has it memorized. This is what he, he lives his life by Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, perhaps the whole chapter. Listen, there are many examples of this throughout the word of God. I just want to point out a couple. One example is when Jacob fell asleep in a city named Luz. Jacob falls asleep in a city named Luz. Now, Luz meant almond tree. Or there's another saying of almond wood. Either way, if you're following along with me, this is pretty incredible. If you're following along with me, the city of Luz was obviously known for its almond trees. That's what it was known for. Everybody came to Luz when they wanted almond wood or almonds to eat. That's what it was known for. Jacob falls asleep with his head on a rock. He has a dream. He sees angels ascending and descending from heaven. And this is what he says when he woke up from the dream. You ready for this? Genesis 28, verse 16 through 19. You don't have to turn there, but just follow along. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord, as soon as he woke up, surely the Lord is in this place, in this land. And I did not know it. I was just passing by. I was just stopping to get some almonds. And I fell asleep and had a dream. And now I know the Lord is here. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Verse 18, then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place, he changed the name to Bethel, house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz, which is interesting that the Bible points this out. He reminds us, Jacob changed the city's name. And in changing the city's name, he changed its destiny. He changed the atmosphere of that city. And the Bible says, remember, it was Luz, an almond, a place for almonds previously. And from that day on, it is never called Luz again in the word of God. And in your notes, listen to this. This is the point. Jacob, Jacob's encounter with God, Jacob's personal encounter with God redefined the land of Luz. I want you to think about yourself. Put your name in there. Penny's encounter with God redefined Du Bois. 
Pretty powerful when you put it that way. That's a wow moment. So later on, if you read your word, David goes there. Jesus actually goes there. Abraham goes there. But my point is this. That encounter with God that Jacob had actually changed the destiny of that land. And after this encounter with God, people didn't just come for almonds anymore. Now when people came there, they started to have an experience with the presence of the living God in this place called Bethel. In your notes. It went from being defined as having almonds to being defined as having an open heaven. And I hope what you see in the first statement above that is your encounters with God can do the same thing for your city. It can go from being known to having powdered metal plants to having an open heaven. It can go from being known to having the most uh, windmills to having an open heaven over it. And you know where it came from? Being on your knees in your prayer closet seven days a week. It came from intimacy with God. It came from Jacob's walk with his father in heaven. And when people from that day on, from that day on, people went there to find God, not almonds, not just almonds. And if you read all the stories that happened in Bethel, powerful things happened there. Think about this. Jacob's personal encounter with God redefined what that city was all about. I just want you to think about this. Can it, can it happen here? Can it happen in Dubois? Can it happen in Sykesville? Can it happen in Big Run? Can it happen in Punxsy? When Abraham left his hometown, another example is when Abraham left his hometown to go out to the place where he would receive his inheritance. In Hebrews chapter 11, it actually says that he did not know where he was going, but, but he knew what he wanted. And watch what he says in verse 10 of Hebrews 11, because this proves to you that he knew. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where this place was, but he knew what he wanted. So here's another point, another example from the Bible of how we're supposed to look for a tribe. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he did not rush into a new place. He waited for the city which had foundations. And by the way, in the Greek, that word foundations there, do you know what it means? It means a city that has a theme. A theme. I'm not going to say the Greek word because it's, I don't even know if I could say it. But it basically means, from, it comes from the word that means theme. Abraham, in your notes, Abraham wasn't looking for a people. Wasn't looking for perfect people with a perfect pastor. He was looking for a land that had a God theme. Isn't that powerful? That is powerful. Abraham wasn't looking for a people. He was looking for a land that had a God theme. Can you imagine what would happen if we started looking for that when we started looking for churches? Over or instead of looking for churches that will entertain us. What if we look for a church that had a God theme? There's another incredible story. I'm not going to go into all of it for the sake of time. But when Joshua is, uh, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land... Moses had already passed, and they, they, were, they were made up, if you remember, by 12 tribes and divisions. He call, they call it that. This is, the, this is the positive word divisions. And do you know what the, the actual word means? The word actually means diverse visions. So they were made up of 12 tribes and families who had diverse visions, different visions than other tribes. Think about that. And that's how Joshua split up the land accordingly with the help of Moses before he passed. And now Joshua's leading them in. In the positive sense, diverse visions. Each tribe had a unique vision. So I want you to really lean into this next part because we are going to close this out. I'm on my last page of notes. I want you to really lean into this next part. If you don't know the story, you'll have to read it on your own. But there's something that, that really sticks out about this story. When Joshua was splitting up the land as they were having conversations, as they were marching into the promised land, Caleb, Moses promised Caleb first pick of whatever piece of the promised land he could have. First pick. Listen to this. First pick, folks. First pick. Now, if we are completely honest this morning and we had first pick 
of any piece of the promised land. Now, maybe I'm only speaking for myself because I, you know, can be lazy at times. What are we going to choose if we had first pick of the land, of any piece of the promised land? I have a feeling we would pick the easiest and the best. A land that just produces on its own, and all we have to do is sit in our hammocks, lay in our hammocks, and let it produce on its own, and just sit back and enjoy. Do you, do you know what Caleb chose? This is what he said, and he said it to Moses before Moses died. He said, I'll take Hebron. I'll take Hebron. You know what Hebron was known for? The land of the giants. He told Joshua, this is what he told Joshua. Listen, when Moses was alive, I told him, when he was alive, I want the land of the giants because I want to defeat the piece of land that is keeping everyone else out of the promised land. So send me there. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to, uh, uh, I want to heal that land from the land of giants. And he had first pick, and he chose the land of giants. He chose a land where there was going to be battle from the moment they crossed the border. Now, if you're looking for a farming church tribe, if you're looking for a farming, because there was an actual tribe, if you read the story, there were two and a half tribes who didn't even want to go into the promised land because when they saw the land on this side of the river, they was like, they told Moses, they said, we don't want to go any further. This land is perfect for farming, perfect for farming. And he's like, no, 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 we're all going into the promised land. He's like, no, no, this is our promised land. We're not going any further. And Moses actually said, okay, okay, you're being stubborn. I'll give you this land as long as you go into the promised land with us and help the other tribes set up their nations. So think about this. Somebody listening to this, your calling may be to actually help someone else get set up in their tribe. You can, you can study that out and figure that out on your own. If you're looking for a farming church tribe, was the point, because there were farming tribes in the children of Israel, you're not going to go with Caleb. If you want to do farming, you're not going to go with Caleb because Caleb is not looking to grow crops. He's thinking about killing giants. So what, am I, what, what I'm saying is this in your notes. Find a tribe that will help you in fulfilling your destiny. Find a tribe that will help you in fulfilling your destiny. Do you want to slay giants? Then find a church that loves to do spiritual warfare. Do you want to grow crops? Then go there. Get involved and plant seeds. This is why Moses and Joshua split up the land according to tribes and divisions or diverse visions. In your notes, I just want you to, I want to bring this home just so you know what this means for the local church. Churches have diverse visions. They have divisions. Find a place that you can help to fulfill their specific vision. And if you're going to help them fulfill their specific vision, you have to get involved. You have to belong. You have to do all, everything we've talked about up to this point. Find a place that you can help to fulfill their specific vision. What is our vision? To be a place where people find hope, healing, and purpose in Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning is, what are you going to do to help us fulfill that vision? That, we have not fulfilled that vision. It, it's stretching us. It's making us run after it. And we do it by experiencing God, loving others, and living to serve. And we also do it by going and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, and teaching them all the commands that I've taught you. This is how you do it. We already know how to do it, but we, want, we don't want you to join Light and Life Church if you don't buy into the vision to be a place of hope, healing, and purpose. So think about it like this. If you wanted to become an actor, if you wanted to become an actor, where would you move to? Those of you that are with me in person, where would you move to? California? Hollywood. Hollywood, California. Okay? Why? Because the land facilitates your purpose. Right? If you want to be a model, you would probably go to New York City. If you wanted to be a country singer, you'd probably move to Nashville. Why? Because the people there have poured into that land and the land now cries out a certain DNA. The land, go back to Abraham, the land has a theme. 
I just want you to see that. I just want you to see that God hasn't just given you a people to belong to. He's given you a place to belong to. A place with a diverse vision and a place where you can fulfill your destiny. And this, this morning when I came in and just prayed over this and I was making notes, this is where I went. This this is what I was trying to explain to the pastor's cabinet about the last part of our vision. To To be a place of hope, healing, and purpose. Your purpose is part of our vision statement. We want to be a church that helps you find your place, your purpose in the kingdom of God, your ministry, your calling, your specific passions and your desires, and then release you and set you free to minister to the land. That's what it means at the end of our vision statement, to find your purpose in Jesus Christ. Listen, you have a responsibility to a land, and the only way that your city will change is if you believe that. You have to believe that you have a responsibility to the city of Sykesville, to the city of Dubois, to the city of Reynoldsville, to, to um, Treasure Lake, to Sabula. You have a responsibility to the land. And the only way your city's going to change is if you believe that. It's about perspective and attitude. Will we use our freedom and our independence for me, or will we leverage it for the kingdom? We have to take ownership of our land. That means our homes, our church, our city, our poor, our homeless, our addicts, our mentally ill, we have to take responsibility for them. Listen, we have a calling on our lives to get ourselves whole, to have a personal encounter with God, personally having encounters with God so that we can make others whole, so that they can rebuild our cities and change our city's theme. Who wants their city to be known for hosting the presence of God? Well then, the bottom line is this in your notes, the last thing, and then we're going to pray. The bottom line is this then. Our personal encounters with God impact our land. The question then is, what will you do to have personal encounters with God? What are you going to do to have personal encounters with God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this message, a powerful message through Chris that he gave us on, on these six qualities of belonging. Lord, we, help us to fulfill them, and, and, and it's going to be hard unless we go back and review this for, on occasion to actually remember all of, of what they are. But Lord, I think if we're just honest and genuine and vulnerable, if we just have personal encounters with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have to remember a sermon 10 years down the road. The Holy Spirit's going to remind us. So we're asking for these seeds to be planted in the hearts of the listeners. My heart, that fruit may come from them, that, that as a seed gets planted into the ground, life might get a little bit harder because it, you know once a seed goes into the soil, the soil dries up and it starts to push and put pressure on that seed until it finally pops open and life comes from it. And so, Father, we don't run from the pressures and the circumstances of this life because we know all the pressures that we face are supposed to produce life. It's what squeezes the hard outer shell, the old sinful nature. It squeezes it, and it puts pressure on it. And it causes us in times of darkness and fear and worry and panic to lean into you. And boom, we get pressured so much and we lean into you and life springs forth. And then we start working our way up through the soil and all of a sudden we're exposed to the world. And we turn into a tree that produces fruit that the world just runs to to feed on. Think about this imagery. That's all we want to be for you, Lord. That's all we want to be for our family, our, our biological families, our first ministry. That's what we want to be for the local church. That's what we want to be for our tribe. We want to be loyal. We want to sacrifice. We want to be honest. We want to persevere. We want to be authentic. We want to be real. We want to stop being fake because the, we don't want to confuse the world any more than they're already confused. We want to be different. We want them to come in and find different. Something they're looking for. And Father, lastly, we want to change our cities. And now we know that it doesn't happen by just launching a ministry into the city. 
It happens through my personal encounters with you. Will you show me and help me? Show me how, how to do that, but also I, you, I'll do my part, you do your part. My part is I need to free up time, stop being so busy to serve the church, and also spend time in my prayer closet to spend time with you and to be committed, so committed to that because now I know that's actually what's going to change others and change, change me, change others, and change my city is my own personal encounters with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, my Daddy in heaven, my Savior Jesus, and hanging out with the Spirit of God every day. Who wouldn't want that? In the name of Jesus, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.